Hello and welcome to Let's Enter the Arena. I'm your host, VM Campos. This is the podcast where I talk with a member of the Magic the Gathering community and we focus on arena, but talk about everything about magic. I've got a return guest to the podcast this week. Please welcome back Mythic Michaela. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. What um, what would you like to promote? Any social media, etc.? Yeah, so um, I'm fairly active on Twitter and I sometimes post memes or just, you know, weird things that my child did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or Magic Nicholas sometimes, you know, sometimes we're serious. Yeah. And so I'm Mythic Michaela on Twitter. And I'm also Mythic Michaela on Twitch. And I stream Mondays and Wednesdays from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Oh, very good. What's the most off-topic thing you've posted on Twitter recently? Oh, goodness. Off-topic. Like, like, what are we considering off-topic here? Are we considering, like, my kid post off-topic? Because at this point, I don't feel like they're off-topic. <laughs> I, I guess if I was following you for magic and I see anything non-magic, that's what I would count off-topic. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, my child figured out how to open the safety gate to the Uh-oh. basement. Uh, so I just took a video of him doing that because he, he just kept opening it, walking down the stairs, walking back up, and reopening the gate. I'm just Aww. like, I, I give up. Like, <laughs> Whatever, I guess you just freely walk down the stairs now because mm-hmm. Kate's doing nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's clearly a sign of intelligence because I, I'm sure those are designed not to be opened until you're like 13 years old or something, right? I'm not sure they're designed to be open when you're 30 years old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the youth, they, they surpass us so quickly. <laughs> yeah, kids and their technology, they just figure it out. Actually, I'm kind of, I don't really let my... Um, son use my cell phone at all so yeah. i'm worried that he's gonna fall behind because isn't it a thing uh, that like two-year-olds could like use their parents cell phones yeah <laughs> i don't have any kids but personally for myself i think that there is a certain time that they're too young for this stuff for this technology and just staring at a screen and so forth so count me on the uh on the side that uh i'm on your side you, they, 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 he doesn't need a cell phone just yet let, let him be a kid <laughs> Yeah, you know, do some like if he's played by Nintendo Switch a little bit. Mm. Um, you know, he's figured out how to make Kirby fly, <laughs> not move in any direction, not attacking anybody, but he makes Kirby fly. So yeah. you know, we're we're improving, but yeah. you know, that's not not a main part of his week or day. Just <laughs> a non-occasion thing. He also likes running around Animal Crossing. Yeah, well, that's like half of Animal Crossing, isn't it? Just walking from here to there. Yeah. Yeah, he actually, uh, one thing that we did was um, I took him through the aquarium in Animal Crossing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Since, you know, can't go to the real aquarium. Yeah. <laughs> Let's look at the sharks, the Animal Crossing aquarium. Did you hear how uh, Elijah Wood dropped by people's Animal Crossing to buy turnips? I did see. I, I saw some of those posts. That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Animal Crossing bringing you closer to celebrities. <laughs> How are you doing? Doing anything productive today? You know, just trying to get some stuff done around the house. You know, um, thinking about redecorating my living room right now. Mm. So, been doing some research on that. Mm-hmm. Well, I bet as a as a like you know a magic player, as a magic brewer, you've got so many possibilities to do with that redecorating. I bet. Oh, I'm sure. I'm like I'm trying to find this balance between like I want my nerdiness to show through my living room while also a random person can walk in and not be like, This person's a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well nowadays that this fun nerd stuff is popu- has populated pop culture so much, it's like it's less weird than before that I have a, a lamp that is shaped like Mario. Oh, nice. Um <laughs> 
I was actually just looking at like some like carved out dice to put mm -hmm. on a coffee table. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's just so many ways to personalize our abode. So we've got that going on. Well, uh, how about um, in general, how have you and your family been coping with the, you know, our, our world as it is at the moment? Do you have any positive thoughts, any advice to give on living in the year 2020? It's been, it's been an adventure. <laughs> um, I, I don't think you realize how much you miss those connections of talking to people until you're stuck and your like main points of contact are like your spouse and your two-year-old. Mm. Um, but you know, I, one thing I've I've been working on getting more consistent with like working out and um, cooking and eating right, especially these past couple weeks. Mm. So you know, I'm hoping that's that's something that comes out of this. You know, I come out with better habits and just more structure in my life. For sure, I think I'm the same way in terms of it was hard in the beginning for me because I, I, I'm a teacher and it was hard to differentiate schoolwork with home life because it's all at home. We're doing it all through Zoom meetings and I'm and I know how to do it. I know how to handle Zoom meetings and do online classes and such. But that was when I could also back in the old days, go to my office on campus to get that work done. And then now I can't go to campus. I've got to do it all here at home. So I have to differentiate uh, time and physical spaces for, okay, here's where I'll sit to do my fun stuff. And here's where I'll sit to do my work. Because when I was trying to combine the two, I wasn't getting my work done. Oh, I hear that. Or, you know, you can even have the opposite where your work starts bleeding into your normal life too much, where you find yourself like, oh, I'm just going to pick this up for work really quick. I have like a little bit of time. And mm. then... You just kind of, you didn't give yourself a break during the week when you really needed it. Yeah. Yeah, so I think people giving time for themselves, delineating time, I think everyone uh, will benefit from that. And hopefully they'll carry that as a good habit into the, uh, into the future. Agreed. So um, here's one more sort of getting started question. Uh, have you been able to pick up any physical magic cards at all since, uh, you know, this year has been going on? So it's funny, my very last event that I played was Magic Fest Reno. Mm -hmm. So that had to be like, that had to be like the week of when all of this was hitting. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was when they were first starting like about talking like canceling European uh, Magic Fest and all that. So um, that was really interesting because it was also like this like paranoia coming back home and being like, oh, wow, I just flew through San Francisco and like San Francisco all of a sudden is like this hot spot. Yeah. <laughs> and... So I did get to play physical cards there because that was uh, Varus Beyond Death Limited. And I also um, got to pick up some, um, oh my goodness, what is the sec mystery, mystery booster draft. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I did one of those there and I've, I've actually done a couple of those there. Uh, or I did one there and I did another at um, DreamHack Anaheim. Mm -hmm. And so those were a lot of fun. So I'm actually really happy that I got a couple of events in before everything got crazy. Yeah. Um, but I did pick up a booster box of um, Ikoria mm -hmm. and just to support my, um, you know, my LGS and yeah. picked up a couple of pre-release kits. And um, my husband and I played a pre-release against each other. <laughs> not the same. Yeah, not as the same as a whole group of people and jumping from different table to table. Uh, you had to uh, just play one one opponent that you beat over and over, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, no, he's pretty lucky. <laughs> <laughs> He's lucky and skilled. It doesn't really work out. Oh, okay. 
Well, that's cool. I went to the uh, Theros Beyond Death one as well. Um, that was the last in-person event that I did, and I did very, very well. I came in um, uh, in eighth place out of an eight-person uh, draft, so that'll go on my uh, tombstone. I just have to say you're top eight. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, exactly. I, I was in the top eight, yeah. Now you've totally lifted my spirits uh, after remembering that I didn't do so well. <laughs> And then after that, uh, yeah, nothing else in person. And I did pick up um, uh, boxes of Core 21, a box of Core 21 from my local shop. Uh, they never got their pre-release packs. Apparently, I kept asking the week that they were supposed to be out and the week after, and I think even the week after that. So I don't know what happened over here for, with them, but they never got their allocation. So I wasn't able to get one of those, but I did get a box. And uh, I forgot what I pulled, but... Um, uh, they, they're going, a lot of them are going in my notebook of collection because I usually like to get, try to get a box and see how many I can collect of the whole set. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you ever get boxes, does it feel like the recent sets, they collate them in a certain way, like differently? Like I remember I would used to get a box and I would get like more duplicates of rares. And now it feels like that you only get that one rare in that whole box as they really collate them in a new way. I do remember getting duplicates in the past when I opened up boxes and I don't know that I can honestly say on this because we've actually only opened up half of our Ikoria box. Mm. <laughs> I just like lost the motivation to keep opening it. I don't know how that happens. We just <laughs> don't want to keep cracking boosters, but yeah. I don't know. I figured we were like, we would pike out with the packs on another yeah. day and it just it hasn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. Well, they'll be there when uh, in the future, when these, uh, coronavirus sets spike in value when we start playing them again now that you know we, we, we maybe we buy a box of ultimate masters but who are we going to play them with there's a, so many times I can play at home and it looks like these newer sets are going to have lower uh, amounts of them being opened by people yeah draft plays such a big role in you know people getting cards and sealed sealed uh, magic fest and all that you know I, you know that's why like I know in the past when there was like the um, sets that had like the shorter print run, mm -hmm. I think, um, what was it, Innistrad, and then the next set was... Um, Dark Ascension? Dark Ascension, yes, that one. Um, I think cards in that set were actually like pretty valuable just because of the, such a short time period to mm -hmm. draft it, and mm -hmm. just not as many boxes were opened, mm -hmm. and... I do remember that being a thing back when I was playing a whole lot and like actually like really worried about card values. Yeah. Oh, how the world has changed. Yep. Well, final question before we get into some cards. How has your life been on, uh, on Arena? How have you had your successes or not as successful times on, on Arena recently? I hit top 1200 Mythic at the end of the month in June. Mm. So that was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. um a little stressful um yeah. you know i had hit mythic throughout the spring and you know kept trying to get that top 1200 but you know i'm playing under 100 matches like i'm not i'm really not even close like i think one month i was at like 60 matches of magic mm -hmm. um where i hit mythic and then you know i had a really high win rate obviously to get to mythic in that number of matches but just couldn't push myself into the top 1200 with that yeah. um because of however the rankings were but Got there in June, so that was nice, but I did play a little bit more in June. So mm -hmm. I definitely see a higher caliber of players, I guess, now, also that we've got more Mac people playing. I, I just see so many good people um, 
on the ladder all of the time. And do you usually go for a best of one or best of three? I am typically a best of three player. Um, obviously, when I do um, climb to Mythic and Limited, um, it's best of one yeah. out of necessity because mm -hmm. we don't have that option for best of three. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've been actually dabbling in best of one this past week. Um, there's been a couple decks out there that I thought were interesting, so I decided to give them a shot and just see how it goes. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I joke that I'm not very good at best of one because I never win my game once of Magic. <laughs> I hear you as well because when when Magic first or when Magic Arena first started, it was just always best of one, and I always had the nagging sensation like if I could have only have sideboarded to my amazing strategy. And then after we got the best of three, that's all I pretty much play, except for of course limited, where it's just best of one. And I'm surprised that we don't get the climb the ladder best of three mode. But I guess as Magic players, we just want everything. Oh yeah, why can't we have it all? Yeah. I, it, honestly. Where would we be if we didn't have something to complain about on Twitter? <laughs> well, then we would feel good in terms of, well, we complained about it and we got it eventually. So pat on the back, I guess. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, it's actually funny. I was really, when I first started, picked back, you know, picked back up Magic with Arena, what, year and a half ago now, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, when it was only best of one, I was, and they did add the best three. I was actually super nervous to get back into best of three because I'm like, oh. oh my gosh, how do I sideboard? How do I like... How do I remember what to bring it? Like, I know I did this before, but I just, yeah. like, this concept to me is just, like, wild right now. So I actually, like, hung <laughs> on to best of one for a little bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, people say people commentate that it's like best of one is it is almost its own format because you know you're not going to have that sideboard so you've got to bring up great deck to to have the rng help you on just the best of one but i for myself i, I just uh, i've always liked the best of three and i hope they do add the best of three for for limited for the for the latter because uh um for me that's that's what uh the main main magic is for myself yeah, it's really, it's honestly kind of wild just how it does, it, it. it's even different for limited, how you build a deck for best of one versus best of three. Yeah. You know, um, like, I know M21, I believe if you're in best of one, it just tends to be a little bit more aggressive and um, mm -hmm. best of three, you can get away with being less aggressive because you can have a plan for those aggressive decks easier. Mm-hmm. So there's just many ways to play for every everyone's uh, favorite way to play. Um, that that reminds me one more thing on on arena. There's there's that one mode. Uh, I believe it's called. I don't have arena open at the moment, but it's called like standard event. What's it called? That one mode that costs like five hundred gold. You know, one of those modes yes. that, that's like forgotten, or I've forgotten by me, but like, you know what I'm talking about? There's like two modes that cost like 1,000 gold, and they just pay you back in gold. And there's another one that costs, I think, maybe 500, and it just pays you back in gold as well. Any thoughts on those sorts of modes? Like, why are they still around? Do you ever play them? Or do or, or am, am I just the only one that doesn't play those modes? They're not for me, but I think there are a lot of people who crave competition, but don't like ladder. Mm -hmm. So... Being able to play those modes maybe kind of gives you that like competitive like oh I'm gonna try to get this many wins, um, type aspect mm -hmm. rather than like ladder where it's like oh hey you know I like won seven games tonight and lost six so I'm like basically made no progress. <laughs> yeah, 
Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about it that way. I, I, I would have just thought competitive means the latter. But I guess th that makes a good sense as well. Like, okay, here is you've got up to seven wins. Can you do the seven wins? And then you'll feel that you've made uh, progress and not lost enough that you're back to square one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, last thing that I just thought of. What do you think about all of the recent bands? Uh, well, first off, Rip, Agent of Treachery, and Fires of Invention. <laughs> they were very near and dear to my heart. Mm -hmm. I had to relearn how to play magic after that happened. <laughs> <laughs> were you using the Agent slash uh, Thassa combo? No, I was not on that. So for a long time, I was playing um, just Just Guy Fires. So mm -hmm. the Cavaliers, um, Teferi, um, Fires, all that nonsense. And, yeah. You know, had a really good grasp of the deck, did pretty well with it. And then um, that deck became bad for some reason. Hmm. <laughs> and so then um, the Just Guy Luca Yorion blah, 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 blah deck became yeah. a thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and like I was really apprehensive to pick that up. And then like I picked it up and it just clicked with me. And I did very, very, very well with it. Oh. And just kind of understood the deck very well. So yeah, I was, I was. I was sad to see that go. <laughs> Did you pick up that deck, that Yorion deck, before or after the change to the companion rule? That was before, because um, the change to the companion rule also came with the ban of Agent of Treachery. Hmm, okay. Um, so, but I was still I was still playing ban Yorion after the change of companion rule. Um, I obviously, like, you now have to pay three mana to get Yorion into your hand, but it definitely impacted that style deck a lot less than it impacted like a cycling deck you know that wanted Luris, but yeah you're essentially taking off an entire turn to go get your Luris. yeah i was playing uh the Luris deck here and there and i liked it and i and i definitely had to readjust myself that no i can't bring Luris right to the battlefield to start to get that stuff out of the graveyard anymore i've got to take that turn if i'm trying to do it on curve or i guess even with like yorian okay yeah you get you pay three but it's that deck is much more for the longer term so okay you pay three and then you'll eventually cast it and get the good stuff out of it so it wasn't so bad it looks like some yep. companions suffered more than others yep um so then the most recent bands were wilderness reclamation teferi growth spiral and um cauldron familiar yeah i'm actually like kind of sad to see teferi go and i know i sound kind <laughs> of like a villain saying that um, but I, it's a card that I enjoyed playing, you know. I think I made the joke on Twitter, like, oh, hey, I was finally remembering tw um, Teferi's static ability. Yeah. <laughs> and that was about it. Um, but, you know, I like playing that card. And, um, but I do agree, like, that was definitely a card that, like, you know, you would look at a preview card from a set and just be like, oh, this card seems sweet, but Teferi, not yeah. that good, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Um and, you know, Growth Spiral was just, you know, you get a draw a card, you get a ramp, and uh, that was that was making games feel over, like, very, very early on, and that, that doesn't feel good to play against. Um, I Wilderness Reclamation is near and dear to my heart. My first deck that I made, actually, my second deck that I made Mythic with, uh, my first deck was, like, a budget, like, blue-red <laughs> build when I was very first starting. But my second deck was this Bant Flash deck, so I was actually playing Wilderness Reclamation in that to, you know, be able to, like, tap up for a Hydra Crisis and then untap to, like, hold up Angel or hold up Frilled Mystic or something. Um, and I had played a fair amount of Team of Reclamation at that point, so, you know, another one that I was sad to see go, but I I do agree that it needs to go. Um, and, yeah, I think, I think like, Judd Sack would have 100% just taken over if they had a ban cat, so... Hmm. 
I really think they were in the right place with the bands. Um, I think maybe they could have considered like Clover too, but I'm not. I'm not totally convinced that's like super overpowered. But that, that deck does have pretty obnoxious starts to it sometimes. Lucky Clover with a uh, with a lot of adventure stuff happening. Yep. Okay, yeah. I play people with a Clover, you know, whatever. Is that, is that a turn one play or a turn two play? I would often see the Clover plus the Innkeeper, and then they just, like, they have their engine, like, very early on. Yeah, I think the dream is, like, turn one Innkeeper, turn two Clover. Oh, yeah. Uh, turn three, um, the Creature's Beanstalk Giant. I don't remember the name of the adventure on it, but, you know, you go... If you have a Clover in play um, and you duplicate that adventure, you get to go grab two lands and put them to play untapped. Yeah. Um which is very reasonable, you know, <laughs> five mana turn three. Yeah. Well, I think that's the big uh, sticking point of modern magic, of standard magic, that uh, there's just a lot of fast mana. There's just a lot of ramp. There's a lot of cheating mana. Fires of Invention was was, was the big boogeyman uh, in its time of getting all of this free mana. You can only cast two spells, but it's two free spells if you've got the mana. And then we've got Wilderness Wreck that... Uh, I like that one a lot too. I was playing a uh, Teamer Reclamation. I was playing Autumn Burchett's Teamer Rec for a long time, and that got me up to to my levels. I haven't gotten to Mythic yet, but I've gotten to Diamond, um, and um, that one was I'm going to miss that one. And I have a Mono Black Devotion deck that I enjoyed, and of course Cat and Oven were in there, so that's gone. And so my two big decks are getting changed up. But um, yeah, I think uh, I think it's good to change things up because I think people were maybe complaining a little bit more than usual that uh, we might need some bands. Oh, for sure. It didn't feel quite as bad as Oko oh, yeah. did, but um, yeah, I, I don't I don't think it was fun because I think it was very, very much Team Wreck just felt like the most well-rounded deck. And, um, and also, it's just like, it's such a frustrating deck to play against too, you know? And I think when you're just like seeing this, just the sheer number of decks that like just re- rely on these combos, that can just be very frustrating to go up against. Yeah. Well, we'll see uh, what new decks are starting to pop up as time goes on. Uh, people are saying it feels like a brand new standard. I know that a lot of people were going over to Historic on Arena when they thought that standard was stale, but we'll see. There's just more ways to play more Magic. See, they went to Historic, and then they still found Team of Reclamation. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe Winota was around there as well. Yeah, Winota was banned mm-hmm. a little while ago, though. Mm-hmm. In Historic, I believe. Yeah, that was one of the ones that I think yeah. there was a there was a, an announcement of changes to historic, and she wasn't included. But then on the next announcement, she was. So they. Yeah. Uh, but isn't there like also the weird limbo of suspension and then banning? Yeah, I think historic. They're trying to keep it like a little bit more fluid. Um, so they're just choosing to use this terminology of suspended. You know, like we may like reverse this decision if we see things that are different. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think you could go along with the, hey, we're banning this card, but just know that our bans may be fluid. But mm-hmm. I, I guess more terminology to try to convey a point is fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for indulging me on that on those uh, topics. Let's uh, talk a, a little bit about cards in some of the recent sets that came out. Uh, we've got our list of cards that that we're enjoying for various reasons. Why don't you start us off and and tell us your your card or your combos? Okay. So yeah. So at M twenty one, I kind of picked like a group of cards that 
I really, really, really enjoyed, especially uh, when M21 first came out and Standard was like, everyone was trying to do their, I would do something fun and not just like <laughs> play Team Erec. Yes. <laughs> so I was playing um, a deck that was called Pawblade that, um, you know, I'd seen on Twitter. Um, I know Autumn had played it on stream. Um, mm. So, and they had a lot of success with it. So, three cards from M21 that were included in this deck were Alpine Hylemaster, uh, mm. Igneous Kerr, and Alpine Watchdog. Mm -hmm. And so, I actually just had a lot of fun playing that deck. You know, it was... It was an aggressive deck, but kind of mm -hmm. had this combo element to it that um, there's actually a lot of play to it. You know, it wasn't just turn your creatures sideways. Like, I ended up in a lot a lot of really interesting um, games with the deck. And I just, I found that interaction, you know, with the Houndmaster, and you get to go mm -hmm. grab two creatures, you know. Um, it's called Pawblade, because that's the joke of, um, it's playing on the name of Cobblade, which yeah. was a deck back in, like, that 2011, I believe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Or you had Squadron Hawk, which could go and find your other Squadron Hawks. So, you know, similar similar idea. You have a card that gets you card advantage. Mm -hmm. um, now, I wasn't playing back in the original Cobblade, but I hear the legend of it that that was a great deck. What was the Blade part of, of it? Um, so that was, I think it was Sword of Feast and Famine was very popular. And I believe there's another sword that was often played in the deck. And I mm. can't think of it off the top of my head. But yeah, essentially you had Squadron Hawks that usually equipped a sword too, and then like Stoneforge Mystic was in the deck, and mm. um, four mana Jace, Jace the Mind Sculptor was in the deck, and um, I think he played like five mana Gideon. Um, I preferred the Dark Blade version of the deck where you played mm. um, Inquisition of Kozilek mm. because I liked having um, full information in the game. You know, like if yeah. I know what's in my opponent's hand, I might play a little bit better. Mm. Um, so like, yeah, I know the one... One version, um, Manlands were in the format at a time, so um, I'm blanking on the name. The blue white Manland was played in the blue white version, and then when I played like Dark Blade, there was the um, Creeping Tar Pit that was played hmm. um, as the Manland. So now in this modern Paw Blade, is it simply that people wanted to latch on to a cool name? Because okay, it does the the Alpine Huntmaster does what the what the bird did by getting more of their squad, but is there other things that also are sort of like Cobblade-ish? I don't, like, not so much, because you don't really have, like, this Planeswalker control um, mm -hmm. side of it, and, you know, you don't have this equipment. Or was there equipment in the deck? There might have, yeah, I did play Emberclave. So, like, Emberclave mm -hmm. kind of was, like, the blade part of it. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, but, you know, you don't, you don't, have, you don't have Planeswalker in this version. Um, so, it it does play a little bit differently. You can't go search up your Emberclave with a Stoneforge Mystic yeah. like you could in this other version. But you do have the powerful co combination of you have Winota. So oh, yeah. Alpine Houndmaster is a human, but the two creatures that it searches up are both dogs. Mm. So and Winota triggers off non-human creatures. So, you know, when you're tracking with these and then, um, you know, you also play the um, Selfless Savior, which is also a dog and that can mm. protect, a, um, you know, give a creature indestructible until end of turn. And then you just find a whole bunch of humans, so you might hit an Alpine Houndmaster off of that. So then you get to put more cards in your hand off this attack, and hmm. it just it can spiral out of control really fast. I do remember playing people against that deck, and when they got that work that combo working, it, it worked very well. And it's not even that hard to assemble. It's very low mana cost, very aggressive creatures, and they're not legendary, so you can have the four ofs and then really guarantee 
the combo coming together. Yep, exactly. And yeah, and then and what's fun is like, you know, sometimes you land that Winota and you, you don't have good <laughs> attacks, but you just attack with all those non-humans anyways, yeah. because you just... You want those triggers. You get those triggers, hopefully, unless luck is not on your side. <laughs> you get those triggers. I have missed four triggers in a row before. Um, uh, I felt like that took an extreme amount of skill to have that happen. <laughs> yeah. But, when, when you whiff but, on some of these things that you expect will work, it's it's something else. Yeah, you know, one whiff, okay, two whiffs, uh, a little unlucky, but fine. You get to the third one, it's like, did that really happen? And then the fourth is like, Okay, I feel like I should be really tilted about this, but it's actually just kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty cool set of cards there. Um, mine's a little simpler in in Core 21. My pick is Ugin the Spirit Dragon. <laughs> so I never played uh, during Fate Reforged when this card was originally out. Uh, it was slightly before when I got back into Magic. Uh, but I would always hear people talking about what what an, what an amazing card that was, and I've gotten to play it uh, in my various decks. Um, it's obviously eight mana, so you have to you can this card is good as if obviously if you get it in the later game when you've got eight mana, it does amazing things. Or if you can ramp into it even faster than your opponent, it does amazing things. And so yeah, seven loyalty plus two deals three damage to any target minus X. Uh, exile each permanent with CMC of X or less. That's one or more color, so it doesn't hit artifacts and lands. Or minus 10, you gain 7 life, draw 7 cards, and put up to 7 permanents from your hands of the battlefield. So you get a lot for that uh, for that 8 mana. Um, any any thoughts on, on Ugin if you, if you did manage to play that back in the day or recently? I can tell you, when I was playing Poblade, there are multiple times that I just snap and see it at the minute I saw the Ugin cast. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, it can really like just it can just swing the game very very quickly and just make it near impossible to come back. Um, yeah, I've noticed it's been like a little less popular, um, but I can see it. It's it's an extremely strong card, and I think it's going to have like a spot in standard for mm -hmm. the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. Definitely in limited, it's GG right away. In standard, there could be some answers for it, of course, but. You know, Elder, the what is it? The Elder spell, right? Two two black mana, kill any planeswalker. Right. But even that, if the person is minus xing your whole board, uh, that's pretty oppressive. So I've uh, tried to play with this one for fun as a in historic. Actually, uh, I've got a deck that's mono white, and it's basically a lot of ramp. So. Um, they've got Mindstone and um, what else? Like every mana rock um, to some degree. Oh, uh, there's also the mirror. What's that one mirror um, that gives you two colorless? Palladium. palladium. Yeah, Palladium mirror. So it's just a bunch of mana rocks. It's Palladium mirror. It's Mindstone, etc. And I'm trying to, as soon as possible, ramp out to uh, Little Ugin, the six mana one. Um, and then that one gives a cost reduction to colorless things, so it's going to reduce the, the cost of these artifacts and also reduce the cost of big Ugin. And, oh, guess what? I've also got Ulamog in there. So there's no interaction um, in terms of uh, in that deck. I'm just trying to ramp as fast as possible to some big stuff. Um, if necessary, I do have uh, Shatter the Sky, um, but my ultimate is trying to just get so much mana as fast as possible to this like really huge colorless creatures and 
I've gotten to various points where the opponent's gotten me down to five life, two life, whatever, and then I start to get uh, Ugin out and such, and then they, they concede as well, because it's such an oppressive card, especially that fast. Nice. Yeah, it's nice to cast your big threat and just opponents be like, okay, yeah, done with this game. <laughs> We're good. We're <laughs> yeah. done here. Mm -hmm. So, how do you feel about Tron and Modern? I don't play a lot of Modern, and when it's been played against me, not great. But if I'm playing it, yeah, I'm all right with it. What about yourself? Um, actually, it's like the only Modern deck that I've played competitively in the last five years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not saying much there. Um, but yeah, no, I just brought it up because, you know, Ulamog and Ugin, yeah. you know, those are kind of... Exactly. That's what that's built for. You want that seven mana as soon as possible, get to those big things. And even in on Arena in Historic, when we don't have the Tron lands, I do feel I've been able to ramp to them pretty well. I, I, I used to have a... I was playing with a mono green one where I was trying to put in a bunch of Cultivates and Grow from the Ashes, kicked for five. And that, I, I played so many times where I basically drew every land. I had 24 lands in the deck. I drew every land in the in the deck and it was just about a matter of time about okay let me get my little ugin or my big ugin or my ulamog that one though felt that you could get really aggroed out because it was just about creating mana uh, but the mono white i've got the shadow of the sky and what else what other board wipes so a couple of board wipes in there to get rid of their their creatures and that one seems to work a little better more consistently yeah and then maybe thinking about putting together some sort of brawl with Ugin deck as well. But uh, because it is a colorless commander, you do have a lot of restrictions there in terms of building. You've got to rely on mana rocks and no other real spells. Yeah, I see that being quite limited, limiting. Maybe just Ugin in the deck, yeah. <laughs> not necessarily as a commander. Yeah. Although there, there's a lot of like cute things that you can do with colorless and artifacts. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's that, uh, I think, Shambling Suit. Uh, it gets bigger the more artifacts you have, and then you've got that one key that untaps your artifacts. In Historic, you've also got, um, what's that one? Uh, Traxos of Krug, that like 7-7 seven, seven for four mana. Um, so yeah, I think you can do some fun stuff in uh, in a colorless build. All right, what, uh, what, do, you, what do you have next? So... Um kind of like a two cards I was going to talk about in conjunction and those are Terror of the Peaks and Elder Gargaroth mm -hmm. um, so I kind of I picked these two in conjunction because I think these were two cards we didn't see a whole lot of play with before the bans happened but you know now maybe with like Teferi out of the picture and stuff like these cards are something that could be like very relevant um, you know I know ter well first off Terror of the Peaks the first time I saw this card um I think I saw a preview, I'm like, wow, that card's really good. Mm. And then, like, I did the um, early access event, and I, um, like, the first deck I played against was somebody sealed pool who had this. I'm like, mm. oh my gosh, this is awful. Yeah. <laughs> so, it was as good as I expected. Um, but, you know, now it's kind of finding this home, and, um, I, I, you know, I think there were some brews out there prior to the bands that were playing this list, but you you have um, Elementals now that plays Genesis Ultimatum, so you can, hmm. you know, if you Genesis Ultimatum hit, like, uh, Terror of the Peaks and, like, uh, hmm. you know, a bunch of other stuff, you can get, like, a lot of triggers off that, yeah. um, which is pretty sick. Um, and Elder Gargaroth is, I know that was, like, a cyber card in Mono Green, but Mono Green kind of died off because Team of Reclamation um, adjusts to the deck very, very quickly. Hmm. And... Um, 
but I mean that card's like kind of it's five mana, six six. In short, it's got a huge wall of text and it's all good. Yeah, Vigilance Rage Trample, whatever it attacks or blocks, it's a green card. Of course it has a huge wall of text. Yeah. That's how you know it's a good green card. Yeah. Do you remember every single thing on the card? No? Probably a good green card. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, Vigilance Rage Trample, and when it attacks or blocks, you get to choose one, and that's um, create a 3-3 three, three beast, gain yeah. three life, or draw a card. Yeah. Um. So obviously this is like awesome card against Mono Red. Um. You know, really, it's it, it's a nice card to have against... A lot of decks because like you know drawing card can be like very relevant in a lot of spots you know especially maybe like a mono green type mirror where you're trying to just get more threats than your opponent you know like had a uh, the great henge cast against me quite often in the mono green mirror and that's yeah. very frustrating to play against you know mm-hmm. when they're getting all that card advantage so mm-hmm. that's kind of a card that helps with this and you know create three three beast like if you just need to go wider at that point too um it doesn't matter the how big or good the creature is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think those are just like, they're both five drops, you know, they're both mythics, you know, and I think there are cards that were printed, you know, with the intention of like, you know, these are cards that should be playable and standard and like very good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe we're like a little bit inhibited by cards like Teferi prior to this or, you know, too slow and clunky against something like Team Wreck. Yeah. And I, although I think Team Wreck even put this in the sideboard. Huh. So, um, yeah, that's. I I just I I think they're very good cards. I think they're like cool design. They're pretty unique, and um, I mean, I, I guess the Tarot Peaks isn't like that unique because there's been t- like tons of like dragon type cards that do damage when like another dragon or something enters the battlefield. Or, but I don't know. They're I I just think they're they're interesting cards to have in standard, and I think they're gonna have a impact on the format over the next year. I definitely like them both, and I have been seeing people play that Terror of the Peaks, and it can it can get can get out of hand. I, I haven't seen a lot of people play the Gargaroth, but I don't doubt that uh, it's going to start to take its place because for only five mana, you just get so much. That's that it's it's kind of crazy how what green is at the moment. And when we thought, well, um, Questing Beast, four mana, and it's got death touch and haste and whoops you didn't block it so it also hits your planeswalker so this is long tradition of amazing green cards uh the um kind of like on the side note the 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 vorthos aspect of things i love the art on terror of the peaks more than the gargaroth because i still cannot tell what i'm looking at on the gargaroth it almost looks like it's just a bunch of trees but i guess the gargaroth is kind of looking to the left of the card even though its body is pointing to the right and i can't quite tell what i'm looking at i just see a couple of cool little birds but then the the terror of the peace definitely is an epic looking card yeah i, I kind of think it looks like maybe like tusk or something mm-hmm. but yeah uh terror of the peaks like if i uh, saw that dragon i'd be uh running <laughs> hiding I actually put together, I started, I was also in the uh, Early Access event, so shout out to Wizards of the Coast for having us both there. Please, please have us back in the future. Um, the uh, uh, One of the things that I built in, in the Early Access event was a, a dragon-focused deck. I just wanted to put all the dragons there. Of course, I had the Terror in there, and it, it was pretty fun. Um, that ETB effect about you summon your other big dragon, and it does that that damage to to the target either the opponent or the creatures or the planeswalker or whatever and you can have the four of so that it'll get very out of hand very fast and after the event i i brought the deck into my own arena account um 
you know, I, I was missing my 700,000 gems, so I wasn't able to fully craft it as I wanted, but I started to build a Brawl deck out of it. And what I did was I actually put Gadrak as the Brawlmander of that. So that's the three mana dragon from Core 21 that it cannot attack unless you've got four artifacts. Um, and when a thing dies, when a creature dies on you at the end of, by the end of your turn, you make an artifact so it eventually attacks and it's a 5-4 flyer. But then I've got the Terror in there as one of these dragons that comes out and the whole deck is pretty much dragons and some removal and Sarkin is in there hanging out with the dragons. And it's it's a pretty fun deck. But um, when I played the the uh, the Red Bull, one of the Red Bull uh, tournaments recently, I forgot that you could have four Terrors in one deck when you play on in full standard. Yes, yeah, standard is in fact different than Brawl. <laughs> yes. Some different rules there. Yeah. Uh, so I used to one format, and then we go to the other format, the the bigger format, and like, yeah, two Terrors of the Peaks on on the field. I don't think I'm going to make it. GG. Yeah, that uh, two Terrors of the Peaks seems a little much to deal with. Mm-hmm. What do you think in general that the on the one hand, you can craft any card you want if you've got the wild cards, but on the other hand, uh, you have to have the wild cards for them, and we can't dust for them, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I'm a little. I was actually doing really well on wild cards, and now like I'm still fine on wild cards, but it's kind of getting to that point like I couldn't go absolutely like crazy making a deck right now. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely the post bands, I've had to craft a lot more stuff. You know, pre bands, mm-hmm. it was easy because it was all I was playing this poplate deck that was just like commons and uncommons yeah. basically, <laughs> and then. You know, I was like, oh, okay, Team of Reclamation is the best deck. Guess I'm playing that now. I already have all these cards. Nothing's changed. Yeah. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they'll ever implement some sort of system where we can trade in the lower rarity wild cards for the higher ones? I don't know what the ratio would have to be because I, I still see people that say, I've got 200 commons. I don't even know what I'm going to do with. You know, I think I have like seven at the moment because I finished crafting some things and I think I've got like one mythic rare. Uh, but do you think they'll ever implement that trades or whatever for your wilds? Like I lean towards no, because I just I think they have this economy set up the way that they think it's going to work, and um, I could see something like that possibly being a disruption mm-hmm. to the economy. But you know, maybe maybe they figure out a way to make it work that mm-hmm. you know their their model is still profitable, but you know players have this more flexibility in this sort of way. Um, it still probably comes with complaints on like, oh, well, why is this event more expensive now? <laughs> or something oh, yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, who knows? I think anything's possible. I I, I don't think it's like super, super likely. Um, I've noticed I don't carry a whole lot of uncommon and common wild cards. Um, mm-hmm. You know, every set I try to craft a whole bunch of commons and uncommons I think I might play before I draft or anything. Because I think it technically like fills your vault faster that way, so then I'm yeah. going to get more rare mythic um, wild cards later on, and um, you know you, you end up with so many of them. It's just nice to get the comments and uncommons like out of the way. But mm-hmm. I, I still try to hang on to like forty of each of those just in case. Like, oh, I'm going to play this deck that's playing this card that I never imagined I was ever going to play in a yeah. competitive format, but here we are. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so exactly. Like on on the one hand, as long as you've got the wild cards, you've got any card you want, but you've got to have wild cards and however you get them. But um, it's an interesting economy. Um, this is the only digital game that I play. I, I never I never played League of Legends. I never 
played Runeterra. I never played any of those. And I know each one has its own thing. And um, I'm just so used to magic. So I'm used to it that like, yeah, this is how the economy works. And it would be nice that we can dust them or whatever. But um, we'll see. It seems to work fine for them. And I also kind of feel like I don't think they're going to change it, unfortunately. But this is what we have. And and uh, it's my favorite game. So I can live with it. Yeah, I play both Eternal and Hearthstone. And I think both of those are essentially dusting systems. Mm-hmm. If I'm correct. I think um, so. I think that's where I f- first heard about uh, dusting in, in Hearthstone. Yeah, although Hearthstone, like, I've always been, like, just frustrated, like, trying to build decks in there. Because I feel like when I pick it up, you know, out of nowhere, I'll have a decent amount of dust collected. And I still can't get anywhere with a new deck because it's so, like, every every deck I want to play plays, like, <laughs> ten legendaries or something stupid. And, mm-hmm. you know, those all cost, like, I can craft, like, two of them with how much dust I have or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, I don't know. Like, I feel like the arena economy has worked out better for me but i've also stayed a consistent active player for the most part you know like Mm. other than like you know like like i mentioned when i made mythic a couple a couple of months i wasn't playing a whole lot of matches so i actually like wasn't completing like all my daily quests and everything Mm -hmm. um so like those were months where i didn't complete my mastery pass and you know i maybe fell behind on like how much gold i'd be collecting but for the most part i feel like i've been able to keep up fairly well just by continuously making sure I do my quest, but I should also add in, I'm a fairly good drafter too, yeah. so I usually come out ahead on those, so that's also been helpful, and also that helps build my collection and makes it so I need to use less wild cards. Yeah, I think people don't realize that that if you go into into drafts, that uh, that could pay for itself a lot better than just going with the with the uh, with the dailies, because I, I usually try to get those dailies, and and I do the, the draft at least once a week and it does pay for itself as you play draft more and get better at it and learn the format and uh, i think that's a good way uh, to progress yeah um but you know the cost of like trying to create your collection through draft is time like it takes time Mm -hmm. to go about it that way Mm -hmm. so if you're someone who just wants to pick up and play construct a match every once in a while yeah uh, i i feel for you and can see how that system is is rough yeah Okay, let's talk about uh, some uh, Jumpstart cards. Those are cards that we can play on Arena. If we go over to Historic and we got a huge boatload of new cards, a huge new infusion of cards into Arena. So first of all, though, what do you think about, um, in general, the Historic format on Arena? played a ton of it. Um, Stream the other night did convince me to play Goblins, and apparently I don't cast Turn 3 Muxus enough. <laughs> And Muxus was a card that came out of Jumpstart. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I, I do, I think Historic's really cool. Um, my baby Field of the Dead is not banned in Historic, which, mm-hmm. you know, does make me want to play a little bit more. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I've only dabbled in it. I haven't gotten real deep into Historic yet. Mm-hmm. I've been playing that Goblin deck, and it is pretty fun. Um... I think there's a few different builds of it, and it's kind of cool that, okay, this is like the top end, this is the end result, but you can put a lot of other goblins in there, like some goblin matron to tutor for it, and goblin war leader to give them haste and cost reduction, so I've had people where they're, they've been controlling things pretty well, I'm getting down in life total, but I'm getting my pieces together, where I've got 
that war leader or the other goblin that gives it haste. And then Muxus comes out and suddenly six goblins hit the field and even more stuff happens. And then Muxus is attacking as a 12-12 and the opponent concedes. That's the way you play magic. Yeah, Muxus is attacking as 12-12 and you have also eight other goblins that are all pumped. Yeah. Because <laughs> Cranko is a fair yeah. card too. Our suspicious noob is uh, temporarily yeah. a Cranko. <laughs> exactly. That's been a lot of fun, having that conspicuous Snoop out and Krenko's on top of the library and the Snoop doesn't have summon sickness and then suddenly you make a bunch of goblins. So it's it's definitely a, a fast-paced aggro uh, sort of uh, deck in Historic. There's an Embercleave in there and I almost never cast the Embercleave because the goblins on their own do their thing. Yeah, I have not played the version with Embercleave. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting deck and I don't like rarely have i played it like an aggro deck um usually just because my one ones you typically don't attack well into whatever my opponent's doing yeah. <laughs> initially so i kind of need to get that wide go big board but um mm -hmm. you know there yeah there is that attack plan outside of the combo where you don't have to just like go crazy on a cranko like mm. sometimes you just get there with uh pumping some goblins and clearing your opponent's board away if they're if they're not quick enough to kill you yeah, and that Skirk Prospector has been an all-star in there. That's uh, speaking again about uh, like fast mana and cheating mana. That Skirk Prospector is simply one one red mana. You get a 1-1, one, one, but then sacrifice goblins to make more red mana. So I've done things. I've summoned Muxus based on three lands because uh, with these other goblins as fodder you and the cost reduction of the of the war leader, you you can you can take out a six six on turn three within a red deck you know you, you would usually expect something like that in a green deck but you can do it in red if you go all in with goblins yep turn three muxes is uh very fair <laughs> yes. no hint of sarcasm <laughs> all right what's uh what's uh what's, what's another pick that you like in jumpstart you know something i kind of i think the lands in jumpstart are quite swell mm -hmm. <laughs> And I know these are like kind of high early to get, um, but I just think I think it's really cool just to see a neat artwork that's not just the the full art. Yeah. You know, it's like more of a traditional land style, but it kind of has like a cool art style to it. And mm -hmm. um, I think they're pretty sweet. Um, definitely motivates me to play a little bit more. Um, mm -hmm. Jumpstart's kind of my oh, I just need a break from what I'm doing. Like, let's just do a jumpstart real quick. But yeah. um, I, ha I have gotten the Swamps because I got the Liliana deck. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so I'll probably still end up with just the Swamps, but <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm really happy that they brought out, like, another cool land style that mm -hmm. was a little different than what they've been doing. Yeah, speaking of which, I, I liked those new showcase lands uh, in my box of, uh, real-life box of uh, Corset 21. Um, I, I got a few of them, and they're they're very striking in real life. I think my favorite one is Chandra's Land. I kind of really like that red. Or I kind of really like the fire at the bottom because it feels like it's almost burning the card itself. I, I love playing, of course, uh, black focus decks, but I kind of like Chandra's Land the the best of all. And maybe Teferi in second, and then the last, the next three in it tied for third place. I, I really like them. So uh, out of all the lands, which one do you think, how would you rank them? Well, clearly Swamp is the best since that's the only one I have. <laughs> <laughs> and then next is Islands because I like playing Islands. <laughs> and then we're going to go with Plains because that's probably going to make my, the, deck, my, deck, 
the next most often. Um, and then probably a tie. We're going to go for a tie between uh, mountains and forest. <laughs> I know that was like some very scientific um, ways of determining that, but. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, the um, the jumpstart is like I like what you said about the variety of lands in in jumpstart. Even if you're not getting like these big showcase ones, like I, I got the that one dog plains with a little dog hanging out in a meadow. Have you seen that one yet? I've probably seen it. Can't picture it off the top of my head, but yeah, is there a cat one that's sim- similar? Because I definitely I've played the cats. I think so. I think I think the cat has some sort of cat theme. The one that I got recently from a Jumpstart uh, event was that dog one, so that's why it's right in my mind. But uh, I thought they did really... Uh, I thought it was a really good idea to like theme these lands per the booster pack that you get. So some of those mountains have looked really beautiful as well. And there's that one swamp that has like a, a weird skeleton hand holding... Uh, I don't know, like like evil water or something i don't know if you've seen that one. Oh yeah yeah that one's super creepy i think i had i had discarding yesterday that's yeah. in discarding but yeah like the dinosaurs with like the little dinosaur in it and yeah, yeah I, I had a dog one pulled up too um i think the angel lands are pretty cool too if i mm. remember correctly oh i just looked at the devilish mountain is uh that's intense <laughs> yeah yeah the, the cat does have a cat on it so that's oh, okay. that's pretty legit um but yeah, the angels, they're like the planes, but it's like angel feathers. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember that That's one. A, it's pretty cool looking. Mm-hmm. I think most of them are very cool, very on brand. There's maybe one or two that I can't remember at the moment that I that I saw it and I didn't fully love it. But I thought that was a very creative way to kind of bling out your deck on, on Arena or in real life. But uh, it's cool to put in one of these new styles of lands when you're battling someone. And then you hover over their lands and like, wow, I haven't seen that land. Very cool. Yeah, it's just it's another way to kind of add, you know, like some personality things into your deck on Arena along with like sleeves, which is, you know, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite sleeve that you've been using in Arena? So my husband played um, the regional Pro Tour mm-hmm. and they got a special code for sleeves. So mm-hmm. <laughs> he just gave it to me because he wasn't going to use it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've been rocking that one. And that's the... Uh, I think it's the Path to Exile art from the uh, Magic Fest promos. Oh, okay. Um, so it's pretty cool. I don't know. I just like I kind of like running sleeves that are kind of like a flex. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you're gonna you're gonna love the. Did you did you get your uh, Mythic Championship sleeves when that was going on at the beginning of the year? The uh, MC Five or yeah, which whichever yeah. one it was yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I got. Well, I only they gave out sleeves specifically for the mythic championship i think they just gave them out for if you were like if you played in the qualifiers mm-hmm. so i got those that's definitely a flex yeah yeah those <laughs> are also fun yeah <laughs> i used to do that all the time like i would just like put those on those sleeves on just flex with those <laughs> and i'm over here flexing with my uh, omg kitties sleeve from the first secret layer drop okay Okay. I, I mean, that's also, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. I did, when I bought my, um, uh, I bought my box of Core 21 at uh, Star City Games, and then I got an email saying, thanks for purchasing, and here's a code for a sleeve. And the sleeve was actually the, I think the Mana, what is it, Mana Vault? What's that one that was, 
not reprinted in the new one, but on, on a previous one. It was Man of Alt, Man of Crypt, one of them. So um, mm. I, I don't see very many people having that sleeve there. Uh, but actually, I just saw one yesterday. I don't know where this one came from, but it was basically a Johnny, and he was kind of like dressed up like a character from X-Men or so. Have you, have you seen that one? I think those were like an F&M sleeve because um, mm. they've been doing like the F&M promos mm-hmm. for Arena, um, like the F&M at home. And like I think some stores got like um, promo codes for that stuff. Oh. So I think that's what that might be from. Mm-hmm. I don't really keep track unless I see a sleeve that I really want. And then I'm like, how do I get that? <laughs> or a land that I really want. Like, how do I get that? I need that now. <laughs> There's a lot of ways to personalize, even though they're not physical cards. So I'm, I'm glad for that. All right, let's talk about a few cards that are actually not on Arena, but that they're coming out brand new. So let's check them out. Yeah, so, um, you know, Double Masters, I believe, just released. So, um, also, this set has had a lot of awesome reprints, uh, a lot of really, really high-powered cards, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned I mentioned Cobblade before, so, you know, you see Jason Stoneforge missing in the set, but... Yeah. Um, one card I actually wanted to talk about was uh, Dark Confidant. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I feel like anymore, this is just, like, a card that you expect to be, see reprinted in these types of sets, right? Like, it's a pretty popular card. Um, it's, like, maintained pretty, like, high value. And, yeah. you know, um, people like to play it. So, um, this is a card that I played in Modern Jund back in the day. <laughs> like, 2012, when it, like, it was Modern was pretty new at the time. Yeah. Um, and for those who don't know this card, although I feel like it's like a staple of magic, but I don't know, maybe it's yeah. it's boomer magic, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> That's the new term. It's, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a boomer, and <laughs> I I didn't know I was gonna have to say that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, one in a black, and it's a human wizard, and it's a two one. And at the beginning of your upkeep, reveal the top card of your library and put that card into your hand. You lose life, leave pool to its converted mana cost. Um, so this was great in Modern Jun back in the day because, um, you know, y- you wanted a way to get card advantage. And, you know, you had things like Bloodbraid Elf, so you're cascading and, like, trying to kill your opponent fast. And, you know, if things went right, you're hitting a land off Dark Confidant mm-hmm. and not... Uh, Bloodbraid Elf. <laughs> I think Bloodbraid yeah. Elf was like the most expensive thing in the deck, so like it wasn't super likely that you were going to kill yourself. But yeah. he also had like Noble Hierarch, and I think um, Deathrite Shaman was in the deck and stuff too. So a lot of low cost stuff that you were trying to grab, mm-hmm. or hoping to reveal off that, if not a land. Yeah. <laughs> Z- zero mana is better than any <laughs> other amount of mana in this situation. Yeah. So yeah, drawing two cards a turn, sweet, right? Even if it comes at a cost sometimes. Mm. But I actually have. Both cards are fixed for Double Masters. I actually have a story about. Mm. But um, so my first pro tour, I played Dark Confidant in a Abzan list that was John was still very popular at the time. But uh, this was an Abzan Doran list. You know, I thought I thought I could fare pretty fairly well against John. Um, so I was excited to play it and play Dark Confidant. And I remember I kept this two land hand of Dark Confidant. <laughs> Actually, I think I had two of them in my hand, too. And it was, like, a fairly good hand. I'm like, okay, cool. So I just need to hit a land here, right? Yeah. Um. So I remember I played out, like, a turn two Dark Confidant. Then, like, I reveal, like, take damage, and then, like, draw for the turn. It's not a land. So I play out my second Dark Confidant. I'm like, okay, I'm definitely going to hit my third land drop here. <laughs> my Dark Confidants killed me before I saw my third land. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, the, the flavor text is perfect. Greatness at any cost. 
Uh, yeah, um, it was not greatness, and it was a very high cost. <laughs> yeah. That talk about like you know we're talking about the 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 randomness on Arena that was obviously on paper, and so uh, there's no excuse for any shuffler um, uh, screwing us over, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> And clearly, I'm not stacking my deck here because. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. Um, what? Uh, so, th- so that was back in like at, at around what time period? You think that would have that was Pro Tour Return to Ravnica. So that was like October 2012. Okay. Yeah, back in the day, because <laughs> uh, what Dark Hobbits Dark original originally in Ravnica, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So you do you remember playing with it? Was that original art that? Uh... Yes, I was definitely playing original arts on that. Cool. What's the what's the other card that you have that that memory of? So my second card that I picked was Force of Will. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you know I played like Mer. I think did Merfolk play this card? I think Merfolk played this card in Legacy. Mm. Uh, but it's funny because like this is for Legacy. I don't. I was never a big Legacy player. Um, I never had a lot of Legacy cards. I didn't particularly enjoy playing Legacy because I never played it very often. Um, and, you know, I feel like Legacy... Like, if you're a good player, you can go in and, like, understand, like, what's going on. But, you know, sometimes it helps to know that, oh, I should have countered that spell. <laughs> like, yeah. that was relevant. You know, and, and they're going to get you, like, the first time with it every once in a while. Um but this was actually a card that I had a play set of in Legacy, and I actually had a play set of it. And I, I got a play set in a really funny way. So um, first, I'll tell you what the card is. So it's uh, three and two blue, instant, and you pay one life and exile a blue card from your hand rather than... Okay, you may pay one life and exile a blue mm-hmm. card from your hand rather than pay the spell's mana cost. And it's counter-target spell. Mm-hmm. So five mana counter spell... But if you pay a life in exile blue card, it's free. Yeah. Um, so great legacy when everybody's trying to do stuff that's like not fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I at one point I owned none of this card, and I wasn't really a legacy player. But I went to um, regionals in Kansas City one year, and I think I scrubbed out a regional super early, and I was like super frustrated about it. I like was mm-hmm. walking around, there was like some vendor selling alliance packs, right? Mm-hmm. I don't remember how much they cost, but. I was a college student, but, like, whatever. It was, like, cheap enough that I'm like, oh, I'll open an Elias pack. Like, let's just have some fun with this, right? Yeah. So I buy one, open it, force a will. I buy a second, <laughs> open it, force a will. Yeah. <laughs> so at this point, like, you know, people are all, like, in the hallway, like, hanging out. And, like, people find out, like, I open two force of wills back to back. And then, like, I have this crowd around me, like, watch me open the more packs that I did Yeah. <laughs> Wow. And so I opened up the third one that day, I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly. And then I think I just like went out and bought my fourth. Because yeah. <laughs> I had to have a place at that yeah, point, exactly. right? <laughs> yes. um, They'd be lonely if you didn't. But yeah, gambling in like 2011 to open Force of Wills from Alliance Packs is, uh, yeah. that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a pretty cool story. I, I uh, originally played back in the 90s, so I remember opening in the beginning alliances in the 90s. However, I never got any Force of Wills in the 90s from cracking my packs of alliances. It wasn't until I got back into Magic in uh, 2017 that I went on eBay and, and I got a few a few packs there, and that's when I got my first, first Force of Will, even though I played with those cards back in the 90s, but it, was, it wasn't meant to be until 20 years later, almost. Yeah, maybe they just stashed them all away so like people 20 years in the future would be like, 
I opened yeah. a force well. <laughs> yeah. So I like I definitely like the new art on on that one. I hope to to crack one and that's one of the very first pitch cards. Um, I listen to Mark Rosewater's podcasts all the time and he talks about the history of magic and making magic and the future of it and so forth and there was an episode in there where he talked about these cards that uh, everyone thought this is going to break magic. How could you not pay for a, for a casting cost of a card? Magic is that you tapped your lands and you can't do anything more and now this is going to break magic. So it's still a big important card years later in many formats and uh, very, very iconic. So it's back with many more in uh, Double Masters. Yeah, and I know, I know it was a very, very, very wanted reprint for a long time. Yes, exactly. So the card that I'm picking for Double Masters is Kemba Ka Regent. Uh, she is a legendary cat cleric for three mana, double white. It's a 2-4. At the beginning of your upkeep, create a 2-2 white cat creature token for each equipment attached to Kemba Ka Regent. And I picked this for a couple of reasons, because I like to build very tribal decks uh, focused on, this is a goblin deck, so it's all about goblins. This is a cat deck, so it's all about cats. So when I got back into Magic in 2017, one of the first decks that I built was a Selesnia cat deck. And I ended up actually then getting a couple of these Kemba Ka Regents, because I wasn't playing Scars of Mirrodin. I wasn't playing Magic at the time when Scars of Mirrodin was out, so I never had this card. When I was researching and getting back into Magic, what are all the great cat cards that I can pick for a fun cat deck? This is one that I picked, and equipping her with a bunch of equipment and making more cats and just more cats upon more cats. So this one has a special place in my heart, even though I didn't play during Scars of Mirrodin, but it was when I got back into Magic. And I think overall with a good build, this deck can, this card can do pretty well. I'm sure, is this a card that's popular in Commander? I think so, because uh, if she if she's the Commander, just three mana to get her out pretty fast, pretty efficiently, and then you got a lot of, uh, uh, you know, swords and other equipment. Yeah. Also, just like Mono White Cat, Commander seems like a reasonable thing that could happen. I'm, yeah. I'm sure it exists out there. <laughs> um I do remember this card from Scars of Meriden, vaguely. Um, I'm sure I lost it. I'm sure I played it poorly at some point and managed to not win with it, too. Mm -hmm. This is one of these rares in, in Double Masters that it's apparently 28 cents or so, but it's more about the experience of using this card and building a great deck, not the value, where we've got the, we've got the extremes, don't we? We've got cards like mana crypt and force of will that are like very valuable and of course playable and then we've got others that are a lot less valuable but still playable and if you're doing with if you're working with constructed you have a variety of cards or if you're doing limited if you can do a limited uh drafting of um uh, double masters you can still get some great synergies if only yeah. if only uh, I, I guess you have a magic online but yeah um yeah plus you know, every every rare and mythic of the set can't be a hundred dollar card. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you want the set to be draftable, and mm -hmm. you know, and have something for everyone. And you know, I'm I can tell you, there's a lot of people out there. If they open a Force of Will, they're not really excited <laughs> about playing that card. Yeah. <laughs> have you played any drafts of any um, Masters sets in the past? So. Um, I went to the first two Modern Master Grand Prix. Hmm. Um, so I never draft. Maybe I did draft those. I probably did do a couple drafts of um, 
definitely, I don't, I don't think I did drafts of the first one because I'm pretty sure the set was too limited hmm. that they couldn't do drafts with it, if I remember that correctly. Um, I don't doubt it. It was a new product. They were still trying to figure it out, right? Yeah, I think they limited the print run of it. So, because um, I think that was like one, I remember I ordered boxes and they got canceled because like mm. places didn't get enough boxes in. Um, I did secure one box, which I still have. Mm. <laughs> I have a sealed box of Modern Masters sitting upstairs. <laughs> I'm going um, to cut that out of the podcast because we don't want anyone breaking into your house for that treasure. It's <laughs> <laughs> not worth that much. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, so I, I think that set wasn't really drafted because I think it was too limited in print. Mm-hmm. If I if I remember correctly, I might be misremembering. But I think I did draft the second Modern Masters set. I, I feel like I drafted one of them. Um, and then, yeah, I did, like, some of the original, like, master sets that were, like, the MTGO, MTGO only ones that, mm-hmm. you know, were meant to get, like, stuff for Legacy and Vintage on um, Moto. Mm-hmm. I did do a couple of those, like, way back when mm-hmm. like moto looked a lot different than it does now <laughs> back back then so um but yeah no i haven't and i haven't drafted this double master set yet i don't i haven't played a whole lot of moto um my time that i do have to play magic mostly just goes to arena yeah that just popped into my mind because i was listening to limited resources earlier today and marshall sutcliffe and uh louis scott vargas were talking about that that basically no one's going to play it in real life because it's pretty expensive but over on on moto you can play i think they said for 10 ticks you can play phantom and for i think 20 or 25 you can uh, you can do uh, keep the cards mode and it was just cool to kind of hear that even though we can't play that set in real life, there's, of course, there's still digital. There's still magic online. Yeah, yeah. I, I do know a few people who have been playing it, and um, sounds like it's been pretty pretty good so far. Mm-hmm. So, Well, we picked a lot of great cards for a lot of great formats, and um, final thoughts on anything card-related, arena-related, or anything at all? Being able to play Arena has been really fun while I have not had Paper Magic. Not that I had a whole lot of Paper Magic before anyways, but, you know. I think it makes me even more thankful just that we have access to uh, good digital good digital products right now. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know. Just, that's a thought. <laughs> yes. It's a good one because um, I'm glad to be part of Magic Arena to see its evolution I remember when it first started off, it, how much clunkier it was and limited card pool. And then now it's like a full-fledged... I remember when it was in beta for a long time and then they put it out to the public and they've just been improving upon it. And now we have drafts with real people and we've had cube drafts. And remember when they put uh, Black Lotus in there for like a few days? I, I do remember that. Yeah, so uh, I think they're going to keep improving and evolving the game, and we're we're here for the ride. And even though we're social distancing, and hopefully we'll we'll overcome this global pandemic in due time, I'm I'm glad to still be able to uh, connect with people and play some form of magic. For sure. Well, as uh, as we wind down, let's tell people where we can find you online to watch your streams or check you out on social media and such. I'm Mythic Michaela on Twitch, live Monday and Wednesday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And I do non-magic stuff on Saturday nights, too, um, Mm -hmm. if you're interested in that, like, 
9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Mm-hmm. I'm also on Twitter at Mythic Michaela. Oh, okay. And what non-magic stuff do you do you stream on Twitch? Um, well, last week we uh, broke... So um, my husband joins me for those streams. Just, you know, it's kind of our thing that we do together Saturday nights, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to spend time together. <laughs> and um, so last week we did Fall Guys because, you know beta was out and that was or the early access so mm. that was fun and then but what we've been playing through is i've been playing through yoshi's island mm. um and he's mostly like spectating and laughing at my failures <laughs> because i've never i've never played the game before i've never seen the game ah. played before and is this uh, off of like the nintendo virtual store or on a vintage super nintendo um it's a snes classic oh okay yep snes classic on a capture card very cool i um I never played. I never played that one back in the day because that's technically Super Mario World Two, isn't it? Subtitled Yoshi's Island, I think, or am I mixing things up? I'm trying. Like, I feel like that might have been like the. I think that might have been the name on. Because I think I, is it Super Mario Two? I, I think it might be Super Mario Two, but I think there is a Yoshi's Island Two as okay, well. Yeah. I don't. I, I. I like. I'm not great with my. Uh, <laughs> Nintendo lore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I've like I've probably mentioned it on the other times that I've been on that. Like not super deep into lore. I don't read cutscenes. I skip cutscenes. Uh, I am like the worst gamer ever in that sense. <laughs> but I just want to play the game. Yeah. I don't need this cutscene. Exactly. Well, Storyline. Let me just go kill some stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, one of my favorite games of all time was. For the Super Nintendo, um, Final Fantasy II, which was in the U.S., it was Final Fantasy II. But in Japan, it was Final Fantasy IV. So that was way back in 1991. And that was like one of the most amazing complex RPGs. And that one is full of cutscenes, full of dialogue. And I kind of want to watch someone's um, playthrough on YouTube where they lovingly go through every single screen and cutscene just to remember what that game was like 30 years ago, almost 30 years ago. Wow, that was a long time. Yeah, that that video games have been around for a long time now. Yeah, I think there was like a Happy Birthday Pac-Man a few months ago. There was some some even more vintage game, and that's been around. I guess it's like 1980 or so. So that's 40 years ago. Yep, video games have been part of our life for a long time. Yeah, any of your arcade cabinets were 80s, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Maybe 70s to some extent. I'm not 100 yeah. percent sure on that. Well, uh, join us back time. Uh, join us again next time, uh, listener, as uh, Michaela and I talk about vintage video games. <laughs> New podcast. <laughs> yes. As for myself, I'm on Twitter as well. I'm on uh, Twitch and YouTube and everywhere. Just search for VM Campos, you'll find me. I'm also on Patreon, Patreon.com/VMCampos. Get some cool stuff there, or simply follow for free. And I'm usually just streaming Magic. Um, that's Saturday nights at 8 p.m. Pacific time. Come hang out as we do some draft or maybe some 1v1s or try to get some more of those jumpstart lands and such, but that's where you'll find me. Well, Michaela, thank you so much for being on the podcast again and sharing some cards. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's wonderful talking about all these new cards that are out. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been VM Campos. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and I will see you in the arena. <laughs>